Um, we've been talking about ministry partnership this whole spring sowing. The whole idea of partnership means joint owner. As believers, when we sign up to follow Jesus, we sign up to partner to his ministry that involves other people and other groups. Why do we do this? It's because we need to have a greater vision than just ourselves. It's not just about how good and healthy our house is, but if we are concerned with what God is concerned about, we realize that he's not just concerned about me or just concerned about our people, but he's concerned about the people in the world. We can't do everything, but we can partner. We can't do everything, but we can do something, and this is the way we partner Um, because we all have the same purpose, and that's for people to meet Jesus people to be transformed by the love of God through Jesus. And we're, we're going through the book of Philippians, and tonight is the, it's part four of the book of Philippians. Um, just a little bit of a bonus. Next week, um, there's a bonus edition. <laughs> Next week's a bonus edition of um, our spring sowing. Um, tune in. Um, it's the Sunday just before camp, and so it's our pre-camp Sunday. Um, and so it's always a really exciting Sunday, but it's uh, next week's going to be um, part five of ministry partnership, but that's next week. Paul writes this letter to the Christians in Philippi where he started the church. But even after he left, the church continued to partner with him for the sake of the gospel. And in this last chapter, ch- chapter four, Paul's going to throw, uh, just to finish off his letter, just a whole bunch of mixed bag of things that he wants to share with the Christians in Philippi. So I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 1 to 23, and then we are going to um, get into it. Philippians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 to 23. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Iodia, and I plead with Sitika to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this 
through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply, amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people, he sends you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. There's a fair bit in there, but I just want to break it down to two main points tonight. Okay? Um, the first main point is this. Ministry partnership happens out of relationship. We said this in week one, that ministry partnership must be birthed out of relationship. You cannot be in partnership. You cannot be a joint owner with someone or something that you don't know about. Paul is going to give us an example He's going to give us example after example of the personal relationship that he has with the Philippian church. And the language he uses to describe this is very personal. Verse 1, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. He speaks with such affection. Now remember, this is a personal letter. It's a personal letter to the Christians in Philippi. And he's saying, look, I... I love you and I long for you. Now, I I don't know when the last time you wrote a physical letter, let alone wrote a physical love letter, right? But there is a personal nature to this. You don't write a business love letter. It doesn't make sense. If you feel free to try, it's not going to work well for you, okay? Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Once again, we see the personal nature Paul's like, if you've learned things from me, if you've received things from me, put it into practice. Okay? That doesn't happen if there's no personal relationship. Verse 14 to 16, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now, so, so we see the relationship that Paul has with the Christians and birthed out of that relationship was the partnership of ministry. And one of the areas that the church partnered with Paul was the giving and receiving of gifts. And, and, and Paul's being very specific about finance. And Paul acknowledges that even though this church was a young church, that when Paul was on his mission and when he was traveling and doing gospel work, out of all the churches that he supported, out of all the churches that he partnered with, or all the churches that he started, it was this one church 
the church in Philippi that sponsored him, that supported him to do the work. And what's amazing, it wasn't a one-off. Paul says, you, you actually sent me aid more than once. See, one of the things that sometimes we as, as believers or the church get wrong is sometimes we think if we do it once, then that's it. We've ticked it off. I never have to do that again. But if the partnership is an overflow out of a relationship, you don't just do relationship once. You know, you get to know someone, you have a deep and meaningful conversation, you go, hey, now we've had that deep and meaningful conversation, tick, we're done, right? No one deep and meaningful conversation leads to another deep and meaningful conversation, right? As your relationship grows, you, you do more for each other, you spend more time together, you communicate because it's ongoing. See, the problem is when we think about ministry partnership, if we don't understand that it's birthed out of relationship, then we will do it once and then that's it and we tick it off. But that's not ministry partnership. That's not relationship. That's duty. That's like voting. You, know? you have to do it. It's a civil duty. But sometimes we, we do that in church. It's not about, you know, continuing to build relationships. Like Deborah and Martin, imagine that. We just, here you go, here's some money, we're done. We never have to support you again. No, but it's because we have a relationship with them. And as we continue to know more about them and as we continue to share in their troubles, we continue to go and we continue to give. But the, but the foundation of that is that the partnership, the ministry partnership has to come out of the relationship. We can't do ministry partnership without the relationship. So that's the first thing that we see from Paul as he speaks to the church in Philippi. The second thing is this. There is great joy and peace in ministry partnership. Now, once again, if we think of ministry partnership as obligation or duty, there is no joy and there is no peace. It's just a job. It's just an obligation. I go to church, I give, tick, I'm done. And if you give like that, then there is no joy. Right? Imagine you had kids and it was like that. You know, 18 years, you raise them, you feed them, you, you clean them, and, and you, all you're thinking is, I just need to get to 18. I just need to get them 18, and then, I'm, and then they're an adult, and then they're out. There's no joy or peace in that. It's, it's a job. It's a duty. See, what we need to understand about this letter is Paul is not writing this letter from a resort. He's not enjoying complete freedom and enjoying the fruits of, you know, of, of the, the European countries. He's in a jail cell. He's in a jail cell because of his work of the gospel. He has been beaten, he has been mocked, and he is now, he is now literally handcuffed in chains to a Roman soldier he is not in a good place. He is not in a good circumstance. And yet, we see that Paul shares about the ministry and the partnership. As he does that, the, his whole letter is filled with the word joy and rejoice. Right? Joy and rejoice. He calls the Philippians his joy. You're my joy. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Back in chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, in my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He continues to talk about joy. Now, not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial, right? Right? Something good happens, you become happy. Something bad happens and the happiness disappears. But joy is not circumstantial. Joy is a state of heart. And Paul continues to share how joyful he is. But the question is, how does this make sense? He's in jail. How does it make sense that someone who has been beaten and thrown into jail to be so joyful? And there's two key verses that we're going to look at. And these verses are quite famous verses. We're going to see how Paul is so joyful in this ministry partnership. Verse, the first one is from verse 6 and 7. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all. I feel like that's been cut. The peace of God that transcends all dot, 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 yes. <laughs> will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul literally says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, go to God. How can Paul find joy even when his circumstances are so bad? And he says, go to God. In prayer and petition with thanksgiving, go to God. And when you go to God, he will give you the peace. Peace that transcends all understanding, that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says that in all situations, when we take it to God, when we take it to God, choosing to trust God rather than worry about it ourselves, what happens is God will then give to us not necessarily a solution, not necessarily an escape, but he gives us a peace. A peace that transcends all, meaning that a peace that actually can overcome whatever chaos is in your heart. Now, this, like that verse itself, that's you know, that's that's a four-part series in itself. But for the sake of this letter, you've got to understand that this is how Paul can rejoice. Because he has the peace of God inside of him that goes beyond the understanding of how you could find joy in that situation. You know, so many of us, our anxiety, and they say the number one mental illness in the world right now is depression. But the number two, followed very quickly, is actually anxiety. And they reckon in the next few years, anxiety is going to overtake depression as the number one mental illness. Uh, stats will show, and I don't know what the stats are, but I'm just going to guess, but I'm pretty sure that these are pretty somewhat accurate. Probably should have done my research. Most of us struggle with anxiety. Not all of us struggle with depression, but most of us struggle with anxiety. This idea of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Some of us struggle with it even more to the point where you probably struggle to even sleep because of anxiety. Because all you're thinking about is what's going to happen tomorrow. Some of us struggle in relationships because of anxiety. 
because you've been burned in your relationships with other people before, so you don't know what it means to engage with someone else in relationship. For some of us, you're single, not because of the way you look, but because of your anxiety. Right? You're, you're so scared about what, what it means to enter into a romantic relationship slash dating and then get married and then what that's going to look like because of anxiety. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, go to God. Present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all will be given. That's how Paul finds joy. In the middle of a jail cell. The second verse is uh, verses 11 to 13. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And what's the answer? I can do all this through him who gives me strength. How does Paul rejoice? Paul rejoices because he knows the secret to contentment. He knows what it means to be content. He knows what it means to be content when he's full. And he knows what it means to be content when he's hungry. He knows how to find contentment whether he's in plenty or he's in want. Can I tell you? That pursuit of contentment is one of the greatest pursuits of humanity. A lot of times people are searching for meaning and purpose. They're searching for a reason. They pursue finances. They pursue riches. They pursue fame. They pursue fortune. They they pursue stability. But what they're really trying to pursue is contentment. To sit there and go, well, and, and, and let's define contentment. Contentment is you have nothing that you need. You're satisfied with what you have. That's peace. To not have to worry about things that you don't have. And Paul, it's an amazing thing that Paul says. I have the secret to the, to the pursuit of contentment. If, if someone wrote a book in this world, the secret to contentment is in this book. That book would be a bestseller. Because so many people desire contentment. Paul says, I know the secret. Verse 13, I can do all this. Right and and you know reading it in context, not you know not taking verse thirteen out of context in like everyone else does, you know put it on their t-shirts and on their mugs and they don't know what they're talking about. Right, this is what Paul is saying: I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. What can He do? He can find contentment. How? Through Him who gives me strength. The secret to contentment is to trust God. That is bestseller right there. It's to believe wholeheartedly that when we trust God, 
regardless of the season, regardless of the seasons of plenty or the seasons of need. When we trust God, that we believe that God will take care of us, that God will look after us, that God will provide for our needs, knowing that, trusting that, that's when we find contentment. And when we find contentment, we find peace. Verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, that is the truth about God. But it's not a question of whether that is true or not. It's never a question. Can God provide for your needs? Can God look after your future? That's not the question that we're struggling with. We never struggle to look at God and go, God, can you do this? Can you? Because think about it. You're, you're questioning the creator of the heavens and the earth. Like the one who went moon, stars, you know, like all these animals turned up went dog, giraffe, gorilla, you know, like just made things up. Like this is God, right? The God, like he's a creator, right? And we're questioning the creator. God, can you look after? Can you pay my bills? My $61.49 you know, $61. Vodafone bill. You know, something like that. Right? That's not the question. The question is not, can God provide? The question is, do you believe? Do you believe that he can for you? Can God create the world? Yes, that's what the Bible said. Can God control weather? Yes, that's what the Bible said. It's not a question of can God. It's a question of do you believe? It's a question of do you have faith? Do you trust him? Now, if we believe that, if we believe that, then regardless of what circumstance that we find ourselves in, that we will end up in, because that's what life is, right? The reality of life is that it has its mountaintops and it has its valleys. That's anyone that has lived a good chunk of life, you will know that. And for some of us, we've experienced some amazing mountaintops. And for some of us, we've experienced some absolutely devastating valleys. That's the reality of life. But, the, but what the scripture tells us is that regardless of where you find yourself, if you can trust God, you will find contentment and you will find peace and you will find joy. But the opposite is also true. If you try to find contentment, if you try to find joy, if you try to find peace outside of God, then you will always be in lack. You will never find the answer. You will always have a gap. Only God, only God can truly fill your soul. Only God. Over the last three weeks, we've introduced three different ministry partnerships that we have here at the Chapel Sydney. Our Burwood campus, MBS and our mission partners in Cambodia, Deborah and Martin. 
And you know what? It is an absolute privilege and a joy for us to exist as a church, to be able to pray and support and partner with these ministries. And I would love to encourage you, don't just let this be the end of ministry partnership, spring sowing, and then let's just wait till next year and see what we're going to do next year. But I want to encourage you, commit to those partnerships. You know, whatever that might be. You know, it might be, you know what, MBS, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, I'm going to give, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice one coffee a month. I'm going to give. Cambodia, uh, on the first day of the month, I'm going to spend five minutes just praying for Deborah Martin. Every time I come to church, if I see anyone from the Burwood campus, I'm going to specifically go and ask them, how's church? These are ways that we can continue to engage in partnership. This is what God has called us to do. But this is where we're going to land tonight. Partnership happens out of an excess of our own hearts. Let me say that again. Partnership happens out of an excess of our own hearts. When we engage in ministry partnerships, we can only do so when we ourselves are in a place and a position to engage. A lot of people during this whole series... Um, you listen to this, and in your minds, you know, yep, God is bigger than just our church. Yep, there's all these other organizations and people that are serving the Lord, and we should be praying, and we should be committing, and we should be giving. And you know it's a good thing, and you know it's an important thing, but there's no action. Why? Because you feel like you're not in a position to give or to engage or even to pray. Why? I'm too tired. I'm too poor. I'm too spiritually immature. I'm, I'm too much of a newcomer at church. And if you actually summarize all of that, many of us will struggle to engage in God's ministry because we feel that we are not full ourselves. We are not content ourselves. And so if we don't feel full, then how can we give excess? How can we give when we feel that we don't have enough? And some of us believe that that's, that's just the life that we live. Some of us honestly believe that every day of our lives, we live a life of lack, that I don't have enough. I can't give because I don't have enough. I can't give time because I don't have enough. I can't give energy because I don't have enough. But I believe Paul in this letter is challenging that mindset. Paul writes this letter from a prison cell and he challenges us to engage in ministry partnership out of a place of fullness and contentment, not because our circumstances dictate this, but regardless of our circumstance, that we have a God that goes above and beyond all of our needs, that goes above and beyond all of our anxieties and our worries, and he actually offers us peace and fullness when we trust him. 
I think Paul is challenging us first and foremost, learn what it means to be full, learn what it means to be content, learn what it means to be satisfied in trusting God. See, I think that's one of the biggest problems. The problem is we're all about our circumstances. We can't engage in ministry partnership. We can't serve more at church. We can't give to these people because of our circumstances. But God and and, and through the, the Apostle Paul, Paul is saying, hey, I'm in a jail cell. And yet look what God's doing. Look how full my heart is regardless of the circumstance. Why? Because our God is greater than any circumstance. That's not not a truth that you and I need to argue about. God is greater than every single one of our circumstances. That's the truth. It's actually just a question of whether you believe that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is greater than your circumstance. Do you believe that God is greater than your needs? Because if you do, and if you trust God in that, then you don't live a life of lack. You don't worry. You're not worried about what's going to happen tomorrow because you have God. And because when we trust him, God gives us his peace. I don't know if you've ever felt peace before. The the best um, example of peace that I see uh, these days in my life, probably less in my own heart, is because you you can't see your heart, right? You just have to imagine what's going on inside, right? But I see it in my kids when they sleep, right? Kids are the most beautiful when they're sleeping. Not when they're talking, not when they're doing cute things, not when they're awake, but it's when they're sleeping. And when, why? Because when you watch them sleep, there is not a care in the world. No kid goes to sleep thinking, oh man, I'm not going to have enough money tomorrow to go to canteen, get my juice cup and my lollipop. You know, kids aren't like that. You know? Zach, my two-year-old, right, or coming up to two, he's not going to sleep thinking about, man, I don't know what this coronavirus is going to do. You know, like, you know, like, like it's, of course, as we get older, the kids, as they get older, they start to think a bit more. But, man, you, you watch the little kids sleep. They are so peaceful. Why? Because they don't worry. They don't have anxiety. You know why? Because they have someone that's looking over them, and that's their parent. They don't worry about you know some intruder coming in because they know that if an intruder came in, that dad's gonna you know go all ballistic and you know see you later to the intruder. You know they don't worry about hey, what am I going to eat tomorrow because they know that tomorrow that mum will have something there. They trust in something that is beyond them. And that's what Paul is challenging us, firstly. Trust in something beyond your own strength. Trust in something beyond your own doing. See, that's the trap we fall into. We feel like we need to achieve this peace by doing something on our own. But the problem is the peace, the greatest peace, is actually beyond us. 
Ironically, we can actually obtain this peace when we give it up to our God. Friends, you will never be content without God. You will never be content without God and the peace that God offers. Why? Because there is nothing in this world, and it doesn't matter whatever pursuit you try, you will not find contentment and peace. The richest, the most famous, the best looking. If that was the case, right? If they were the keys to contentment and satisfaction, then the richest people in the world would be the happiest people in the world. The best looking people in the world would be the happiest people in the world. The smartest people in the world would be the the, the most joyful people in the world. But you know what? They are the biggest complainers because it's never enough. Just one extra dollar. You know, just one more friend, one more like, one more follower. It's never enough. I'm telling you, it's never enough. If you think you're poor, if you think that you don't have enough, if you think that you're not good enough, if you're too messed up, if you've got too many problems and worries, you will never wholly, happily, joyfully serve God. Why? Because you will always be concerned about your lack It's going to impact our ability to engage God's mission and purpose because at the end of the day, we're trying to trust ourselves in our lives. And of course, we're going to let ourselves down. But when we trust God, which is the secret to contentment, when we trust God, then even our anxieties and our circumstances, no matter what's happening around us, because we have God, we get to experience and find contentment which leads to peace. And it's out of that overflow of contentment and peace that we get to joyfully engage in ministry partnership for the sake of the gospel. So there's two questions that I finish with. Number one, are you content? Really think about this. Are you content? When you're sitting here or you're at home and you're listening to this, are you content? Are you full that there's not a worry in the world? Or actually in your mind, you're like, tick, 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 tick. what about tomorrow? Tick, 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 tick. What about that dollar? Tick, 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 tick. What about that investment? Tick, 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 tick. What about my future? Are you content? Right? That's the first question. Secondly, will you engage in ministry partnership? And these questions are completely aligned. Ministry partnership happens out of the overflow of contentment and satisfaction and the peace that we have in God. When you feel like you lack, you can't invest into other things or other people. But when you are at peace and you don't have a worry in the world, not because life's not great or life's bad that's life but because we trust god we can choose to engage out of the fullness because you believe that god will fill you so friends are you content 
And will you engage in ministry partnership for the sake of the gospel? Let's pray.